You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. And on August 21st, you can join other conservationists all over the world in supporting Community Conservation Day. It's a day for anyone to give their time and or dollars back to their local ecosystems and favorite conservation causes. For more information on how you can participate, visit fishandwildlife.org. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome back to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We've got a special treat for you this week as we're going to dig into our files here. We're going to pull up a, a podcast that Matt and Kyle Hedges um, recorded back uh, a little bit ago um, talking about habitat and specifically structure and how that plays into habitat management, habitat enhancement, and habitat restoration. So um, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Um, before we do it, we want to thank one of our partners to help make it possible. First Light, if you're interested in high-quality hunting clothing, from western hunting all the way down to chasing turkeys uh, down here in the southeast or in the midwest, check out firstlight.com. Uh, a lot of new stuff hitting from them. Uh, some really cool new um, pants um, that, man, Matt and I just started getting our hands on some of this stuff. We're very excited to see uh, how it works through this turkey season as well as next fall. So uh, check it out at firstlight.com. Back on the road and ready for another podcast. I'm kind of excited for this one. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, something a little different maybe. I know, talked about it in roundabout ways in other podcasts, but not a whole podcast focused to this subject. And and probably maybe shame on us for not uh, devoting podcasts, uh, a specific singular podcast to it. We, we do talk about this topic often, but I think it's, Obviously, it's super important, one, if we're going to talk about it for our entire podcast. But when it comes to, I don't care where you're at. Like, I, we're, we're on the road right now. I probably hear some road traffic. Um, but we're driving back from Texas. And the st- structure, what we had to work with, what the landowners, you know, had growing on their property, was completely different, right? So this podcast, it, it, it's not going to matter where you're at where you're listening from, where you're hunting from, where you're managing. And we're, we're going to talk about structure as a whole from a lot of different species, but w- like breaking down the structural component of wildlife management and habitat management, why it's important. So I guess, Kyle, as we're getting started here, it's probably important to talk about the definition of structure, like what are we even talking about? There's deer. Finally, we've seen some. Yep. But what are we even talking about when we're terming that, that term of structure? What does that mean for habitat management in, 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 in like, as a whole? 
So when we're looking at a field, whether it's a herbaceous field or a stand of timber or an old field, any combination, there's it all has structure. By structure, we mean, her, let's say, start with the herbaceous layer. There's varying heights of yes. vegetation. So that's a component of structure. We have some things that grow tall, some, you know, horse weeds or, mm -hmm. and mullein and things that'll grow five, six foot tall. Um, some, some of the native grasses will get that tall, whereas giant ragweed, let's say, whereas other things, um, you know, sensitive briars, there's uh, partridge pea, mm -hmm. some of that stuff is, is going to be more shin height. So we have varying yep. heights. That's part of structure. We also have the spacing between plants and how a plant grows. Some plants, mm -hmm. croton, um, ragweed, or umbrella plants, one single stem coming up, but then they, they have a canopy. Where other things like grasses are more just a, a vertical structure. So, Not much branching activity to them. Right. So, so we have this there's structure between plants and plant growth and plant heights and then that falls into to brush species, mm -hmm. um, shrub species. Brush, I guess, is a bad word to say. <laughs> That's I mean, a generalized. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so shrubs, but, right? But we like brush. It yes. Has its, its, yes. But shrubs, the, the shrubs come in all different shapes and sizes as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then we move on into forested landscapes or woodlands or, well, there's understory trees, there's midstory trees, there's overstory yes. trees. But we can turn any overstory tree short term into an understory tree very with a, quickly with a chainsaw <laughs> yeah so we can adjust the structure and then we have stem density within the timber so mm -hmm. again structure between those plants in this case trees height structure and the functionality of all of of what we need it for yes well, what role does that structure play right are we trying to use this plant or this tree for we want it to be a shade component for mm -hmm. an animal or escape cover for an animal. Do we want it to be food for an animal? If it yeah. is food, are they eating that plant or tree itself? Eating the limbs of the uh, browsing on the twigs of that tree? Or are we using that tree to create masts and make mm -hmm. food that way? Yep. So the same tree, an oak tree, can provide browse if it's the right height but it can also be a an overstory tree and provide mass each year yeah or so. provide good escape or bedding cover two years after a clear cut absolutely with right stump sprouts like the the tree or the species let's say i'll say this the species at a current given time can doesn't always look like let's say a single stem tree like if we manipulate it, we completely change the structure to accomplish maybe one specific goal or multiple goals at a given time frame. And then what we do disturbance-wise, again, either keeps it there or just allows it to continue to grow on and be something different down the road. Yeah, in some cases we want to change the structure but only temporarily of, yeah. of said tree. Right. So we know that we're turning that tree into food and bedding cover for the next few years mm -hmm. but but then we know that we're going to go through this phase and let it keep growing and get out of reach on yes. purpose right um, and that's okay so then there's this transition so yep it's all important and all really fascinating interesting how it interacts with each other and mm -hmm. this this kind of popped up yesterday we were on a consult and We'd already talked about this subject and having a podcast, actually. We talked and about it coming down to Texas, and then yeah. it made even more sense as we yeah. were just on a property. Well, the landowner, we didn't even prod him for this to happen. It yes. just happened, but it played right into this. He made a comment about, we're out looking around, and he said, you know, I kind of wondered about hiring you guys. Like, why would a couple guys from Missouri know anything <laughs> about managing my property in texas yeah well for one we've both spent some time in texas so, yes so we understand but we also explained to him hey i don't care if i'm in you know southern wisconsin 
or or northern Texas where we were yesterday, there's still a structure component that fits whether I'm managing quail, which live in both those places, mm-hmm. and absolutely totally different plants and trees yes. that exist, and deer live in both those places under completely different plant system and tree system but you know what's the same requirement is certain structure and and why is structure so important is well because those although those critters i'm gonna say critters so so we're i guess using a different term from the uh, species of plants and vegetation that we're talking about managing although the critter doesn't change the species changes but the structure requirement for the critter doesn't change where you're at it still is necessary because predators or the evasion of predators from a structure standpoint or the mobility for that critter to move throughout the landscape is still required it's just going to be utilized or it's going to look different from a individual plant species that make up or comprise said structure that's required from that one critter type so like deer they need this same type of structure right wherever they go or wherever you're living i don't care if you're in southern georgia or you are managing a property in um eastern new york deer need very similar structures from you know the day they're dropped as a fawn all the way up until hopefully they're harvested as a mature buck right well they need these same types of habitat features maybe not at the same distribution level maybe not like i need i need a lot of high stem count areas in southern georgia maybe not but but that still is super present in both areas and the structure what comprises that structure from an individual plant species we're talking about completely different plants we're talking about completely different trees the same thing in Georgia isn't in New York, but we better have that same structure component in be, both of them. You bet. I'm going to need certain heights of certain plants, and I know that, uh, or certain heights of yes. what broadleaf plant. I don't even uh-huh. have to know what species they are. I don't care. Right. But if I'm managing for for quail or deer, I better have a, a significant diversity, a pretty good quantity of broadleaf plants mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they better be within a height range but a fairly specific heights to function as what i need them to do and yeah it doesn't matter what state they're in now i might need a bigger you mentioned distribution or even quantity yes you know i may need more quantity of thermal cover for the deer in wisconsin sure than i need in 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 Texas, the yep. thermal cover in Texas is going to be from heat. It's going to be shade. It's not not so, from the cool temperatures. Yeah, but I'm still going to need some structure to mm-hmm. accomplish that task for me. Absolutely, absolutely. So you broke down structure <coughs> Excuse me, in the form of height, but also the spacing in between certain... Uh, let's say plant uh, individual plants uh, but then also brought in the shape of individual plants and I think that as we're talking about structure and, and defining it this is why it's so critical there's a little bit of a side from the podcast but it is so critical to not get fixated on individual plants that you want present on a property. Let's say, I love American Beautyberry. Mm-hmm. We saw that everywhere today. Yep. I want it on any property within the region that it can grow. I'd love to see it. But I cannot ask or expect American Beautyberry to do everything. It does not have the right structure. does not have the right composition to achieve all the things I need it to achieve. Same thing with switchgrass. Man, I'd like to see some switchgrass possibly in an old field stand. But I can promise you I don't want a solid stand of switchgrass. I don't. I may want to see, let's say, in a specific region, um, uh, a short-leaf pine. But that does not mean that I want 
a monoculture of shortleaf pine. We can't go into, let's say, management with, oh, these species change the game. These plant species change the game for quail. Like ragweed is fantastic, right? Yep. But you can't, you can't have quail by only having ragweed. We have to be managing with the mindset of understanding the role of structure, but to take it one step further, it's a it's a culmination, um, a combination. It's a plant community that we need to be producing, and structure is super important within this idea or principle of plant communities. So, not that their structure and plant communities is interchangeable, but they're very closely related when we're talking about producing structure in a given area well we need a specific type of plant communities to be working together to create said habitat but structure is super important within these plant communities that we're managing so we want to break down like quail we know we need nesting cover we know we need brooding cover we know we need um shrubby cover so like what does that look like from a structure standpoint as you're working on a property Let, let's just say like you're given consultations right and you've got to go from georgia to western kansas and you're managing quail for a landowner but they're back-to-back days like what does that look like from those two days by hitting all those different key points to make sure that quail are going to persist and thrive on those two said properties. So again, I, I'm going to know some of the plants, um, hopefully, probably. You're going to um, know them. Yeah. I'm going to know I'm confident a fair in amount that. of them. <laughs> but even if I didn't, either yes. of those places, I know that I need some bunch grass, first of all, for nesting. Hopefully warm season grass, preferably warm season grass. Bunch grass being comes out of a clump, kind of uh, looks like a, a V coming up, right? Yep. Like a narrow at a, the bottom. I guess an upside down cone or an ice cream cone stuck in the ground. So yeah. narrow at the bottom and it comes out like an ice cream cone. I'm, I have to have some of that for nesting. Um, then I have to have broadleaf plants. One species isn't going to cut it because I need broadleafs for two reasons. One, seed production for, mm-hmm. for winter food, but more importantly, or just as important, I need broadleafs to attract insects for brood cover. Yes. So I have to have some diversity of these broadleafs. Um, the more the better. Ten species is better than five. Thirty is better than ten. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to maybe... The more species I have, the more variety of bugs I'm going to attract, which gives the quail more selection in what they want to eat. Maybe they need 10 blue bugs for every five green bugs they eat. Yes. I don't know. (laughs) Their brain tells them that, and they know it. If we're solid ragweed, that's all we have, we're only going to attract certain bugs. Yep. Um, We're not going to have any nesting. So we have to have these components. But then within that, so I have structure. Some of those broad leaves, I need to have an umbrella canopy because when the chicks are picking around in there and the adults leading them around, brooding and, and feeding, well, they need to be halfway shaded and also, you know, kind of camouflaged from aerial predators. Mm-hmm. So they got to be under some of this canopy. Well, to be able to move under this canopy, there has to be bare ground between plants. There has to be some amount of mobility so i can't have a solid thatch layer i can't have solid switchgrass these aren't going to be able to move around in there so whether i'm in western kansas or georgia like you said it's not going to matter and then i have to have some woody cover i have to have some escape cover Mm -hmm. western kansas is going to be plum thickets great that works Um, i go down to georgia and it's going to be a completely different component but it still has to be there and Amongst my, in, in southern Georgia, amongst my, my grass and forbs that I just talked about, my broadleaf plants, there's get, probably going to be pine yeah. scattered. It's pine savanna, pine mm-hmm. plantations. But that's okay 
if underneath, so that structure, the quail aren't using that part no. of the structure. They're not, they're not having any benefit from that pine necessarily being there if it's 60, 80 foot tall pine. Yep. But it exists if the right plant community is underneath it. Yeah, and, that's fine. And it actually, down there, it kind of creates a semi-partially shaded environment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where, and it's sandier soils in a lot of cases, so that my herbaceous layer isn't getting too thick yeah. and too rank. So it actually can benefit down mm -hmm. there. Um, and then there has to be some escape cover, you know, some species of escape cover, uh, some woody, shrubby component for escape cover. It's all the same, completely different plant species we're working with in a lot of cases. It still represents the same structure. And, and a Bob White is there in western Kansas as well as yeah. southern uh, Georgia, but again, they don't necessarily care exactly what species. They don't care if it is a, um, let's say, a, a plum thicket versus a, um, shoot, it can even be like a, a, a pond frond down there in southern Georgia or a blackberry thicket. Yep. As long as it's got that type of structure, they're going to utilize it. As long as they can get in there in the summertime, get mm -hmm. some shade. And as long as, you know, other times of the year, wintertime, they can get in there and feel protected from aerial predators, loaf, you know, while yep. they digest their food, that, that's, the com that's the function of it. That's why it's called escape cover, someplace they can escape, hide out, hang out, and be, feel safe. Um, but right out of the gate, you go to a property, and, it's, and you're looking specifically to be managing for quail, right out of the gate, if you don't have those components present you're not going to have them you need to create them right with what that region specifically will give you from its individual specific plant types so like yesterday talked about there's even some research out of uh texas you you, you referenced that um a lot of the quail were utilizing some prickly pear cactus as some escape cover yeah they'll use it so there's some you know documentation both some escape cover these bigger colonies of prickly pear uh, but also nesting mm -hmm. some of them will tuck their nest uh, up in prickly pear cactus clumps well that's a pretty smart place to put your nest because that, that's thinking what their head know, yeah. raccoon or a skunk's probably not going to waller through there to try to get you out it's you know that's not the majority of nests most of them are sure. in grass clumps but but there's plenty that are documented every year, radio callers that are, that are using those habitat types. So it's functioning as this structure. It's working. It's not our textbook, not what we think about, but it, it functions because it's the right structure. It's yep. protective. So let's break down wild turkeys now. Wild turkeys, man, what a range that they have. But... They span a, a humongous area, but structurally, the east looks very different from, let's say, Washington. Or, oh gosh, let's just say New Mexico or parts of Arizona. You look at that and you're like, whoa, Like structurally, guys, break that down for me. Because we're talking like two different worlds here. But specifically for turkeys what is it that they need from a structure standpoint if you're going to two different properties like kind of same quail um, analogy like what is it that you're looking for compare and contrast structure that needs to be present for wild turkeys so one of the first things that's typically lacking and, and this is we're seeing a turkey decline across a lot of the country right now is back to brood habitat we we we're not doing a very good job across the country of providing uh, our, the landscape uses just aren't providing that weedy component mm -hmm. insect forage base for right. all summer for raising these broods um, so that's one of the first things we're looking at when we walk on a property and if they want turkeys I'm looking around and, and it's quickly assessing what's the what's the broadleaf component what's the forbs yep. whatever weeds whatever you want to call them what do we got here and then back to structure turkeys are a little goofier so 
how often have you ever seen let's take a crp field that that has some let's say it has some weeds in it yeah but it has, has broad leaves has sure. seven foot tall grass we've all seen crp fields like yeah. that if you've ever went pheasant hunting or you know up in kansas nebraska iowa yeah have, have you ever bumped turkeys out of that in like brooding in the summertime brooding no way absolutely not and there's no a reason way. because it's they're not going to go in there it's that's a, a big death, death, death zone <laughs> they're going to get attacked by a coyote or something yeah so turkeys are even a little more picky where in some cases quail are going to brood they don't care if if there's weeds three inches over their head or 30 inches over their head mm -hmm. if it's providing some shade and some and they're kind of masked from aerial predators and it's got bugs on it they're going to use it a turkey wants something kind of that eye level it and they're a very like from a from a detection of predators obviously the physiology of that or anatomy i guess i should probably say of that turkey vastly different very telescopic upright head yep. they're very very visual with a quail their body structures not nearly close to that right so that vegetation better match pretty closely or or, or complement the anatomy of the turkey yep. if they're going through that type of broadleaf structure yep so they need to you know that mama she's going to be periscoping that head and it and it needs to be in vegetation that's that it's the right height she's going to have to be able to see out of it or she's not taking the poults in there right um so there's, you know, there's a range there. It can be a little shorter and she can be in it, but it, there's a limit to where height-wise you can lose the effective. Man, it's a perfect weed field, but if it's the wrong species that are all too tall, we may not get much brood use mm -hmm. out of it from turkeys. So, Well, even going back to that CRP, yeah. well, what happens if you manipulate that CRP? What if you, yep. if in rotation you burn a third of that CRP during the spring well, now we could most likely, based on the regeneration um, in the growing season, as those species are responding and growing back from basically black earth, right? Yep. And coming back during the brood time, middle of the summer, those species are probably at the right height. But if it hadn't been burned and disturbed and set back, they wouldn't be in the center of that field. Yep. So, yeah, maybe I can get brood use out of you know the crp field or portion of that field um through depends on where you're at but say you know early to mid july mm -hmm. before it gets too tall well perfect most of these turkeys are hatching i mean by then we've got broods that are eight weeks old yeah they've had you know the whole half of summer to to raise and and get to an age where where they're way more mobile and and then they can shift to, to other parts of the farm. So we're just, we can change that structure, yeah, with just some simple disturbances and make it usable for a certain period of time. Um, and that's gonna be important for, for anything we're after. Turkeys are another interesting one because they have so many different aspects to, or requirements. So mm -hmm. this is gonna seem silly maybe, or like well no no duh kind of moment here but roost trees well Got that's the significant issue in mm -hmm. parts of the west yep. there's places that don't have turkeys because there's no roost trees they may right. have all the rest of it they may have nesting cover and broodering cover but if there's no roost trees around you don't have Sorry, turkeys no turkeys um the the farm we were on yesterday as turkeys come from his neighbor well most of his trees that could be potential roost trees are so crowded with cedars that they're not getting the height. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, turkeys couldn't even fly up to these trees they, because they there's so much through. cedars. <laughs> yes. So, but anyway, um, I, I think he'll have turkeys roosting on him in the future. I He's got to get rid of some competition. Uh, right now, his neighbors have the turkeys roosting on him. Well, they've got some more mature oak trees. So, but what it's funny, he sees a lot of daytime usage on his property yep. of those same exact turkeys. They may not be roosting on him, but in certain areas or portions of the property, he has great options for bugging and brood rearing yep. um, of the turkeys. Yep. So it's, it's, it's 
splitting of time from the turkey usage based on that habitat and structure present. Yep, and so he's missing this one component. Um, and it, there's a structure to it, but he's missing that roosting component. Mm -hmm. So that's going to come with time. That's not something that's, you know, immediately resolved in some cases, but, but it'll get there. Um, so kind of a fascinating thing in that regard. And then take it a step further. Um, turkeys have, obviously, a, you know, the springtime ritual of, of strutting. Yes. Well, that's a structure that you normally don't manage for, but, but basically uh, for a hunting strategy, you may want to have a, a, a little wheat food plot or something. If you don't have something that's short yeah. <laughs> for them to strut in, you may have an issue on your farm with spring turkey hunting because you're going to have to have somewhere in the timber or out in the field they're not going to strut in six-foot-tall CRP. Like, That's you're not going to see gonna a turkey strutting in a bedding thicket. Although turkeys at some point could utilize that area. They may area. nest in it. Absolutely. But you're not going to see a turkey, based on the structure and the requirements for reproduction, in there during that time of the, time of the year. It's, yep. it's a void. Um, and I've hunted farms where the strut zone, which is when you're hunting them, is so limited that... Yeah, it's like, well, they pretty much got to come here after they fly down because if they're strutting, there's really not very many other options. Or I've been to other ones where the strutting in large pastures, there's it's not a limited resource at all. What, what becomes a limited resource there is maybe the woodlot in which they have roost trees. So every place is different, but those structure components, regardless of, of the... Um, uh, quantity of them, right? We, we, yep. I've been in areas in Oklahoma where there's there's one roost tree, yep. like there is one single tree that they roost in routinely. Well, that component is there until a tornado, yeah, drops it. Those turkeys will be in and around there because it has every component. May not be a lot of the roost trees, but they're still there. Yep, critically important. I mean, it varies. That has to be there, and, and or they're just not going to persist or exist. So, structure and the plant communities that help create the right structure, density, height of subplants changes, obviously, with the species, um, with your regions. Obviously, we've seen that just in quail and, and turkey examples, but deer as well. You know, a lot, a lot of people, if you will, get so excited about CRP. So, like, a very grass-dominant, in most cases, very grass-dominant landscape. And they're like, oh, my gosh, the cover. Look at that. It's, like, the perfect height. But for me, when I see CRP, I see a monoculture of grass. I'm like, yeah, okay, well... It's great height structure. Like, like the height component is fantastic, right? But I know, you know, when there's a snowfall, not so great. So, compare and contrast, bottomland during the summer. And let's say uh, uh, Illinois bottomland. You've got maybe river oats, bottle brush grass. Maybe you've got um, stinging nettle, maybe some giant ragweed. Well, after that first frost... It completely changes. But during the summer, that was great cover based on the height. And so, like, the structure, what what's missing there is more of the branching structure in both of those elements. There's nothing branching to uphold the grass, grassy, herbaceous type of cover um, or type of vegetation that would help produce more ample cover. Um, so, like, you can have bits and pieces and parts, but without all these plants working together, let's say as a community, wink, wink, nod, nod, you're going to be missing out on some time frames or some windows. Like what we were talking about, I guess, the other day too, Kyle, is, you know, everyone loves to glorify eastern red cedar. Well, from a structure standpoint, what we saw yesterday in this central Texas property 
it was it was so thick deer couldn't even begin to try and navigate it. But yeah, visually, no yeah, you couldn't see that far in there, but it wasn't usable because you couldn't even walk through it. Yeah, no way. No antlered deer, even a doe, I would struggle, but uh, there's no antlered deer could walk through that solid cedar we saw yesterday. So, yeah, structure-wise, that is that's not functioning for anything. No. I mean, not only is it taking away the sunlight from the ground, it's limiting food value to that, those acreages, blah, blah, blah. I and mean, the list goes on and on and mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. But it's not even providing any useful structure because they can't physically get I can't navigate in it. it. Yeah. So it's not shade because I can't get in there. <laughs> I've seen, and this has been in like, some experiences, let's just say in Virginia, clear cut, I had seen deer usage being extremely high at year three, four, five. But then as the stem density and the canopy begins to crowd in and become so high, the usage and therefore food value too from the canopy and the sunlight aspect begins to decrease. Well, now, now that structure it's so tough to navigate because the stem density is so high from all the tulip poplar and sweet gum region. I, they can't walk through it. So now they're forced to kind of go around, around the edges. It just, the structure has to be present. And it is a comp, it's a composition of the height, the density in between plants and, and the actual structure of the individual plants there. But for, but for deer... We've got to have broadleafs at a, a, let's say, a height roughly three to four feet. Mm-hmm. How many times we go to properties and we see, let's say, an elm tree or a red maple, um, and we're like, hmm, that species is great, but it's in a tree form. I would much rather see it cut and re- restarted because now... I've got food value in a broadleaf form at the right height. Yeah, so we have this, the right species, but in the wrong structure. Yes. It's 23 feet tall. Does no good. There's no twigs, no leaves, nothing within reach of a deer. The species is not bad. So the species is right. Yeah. So unless we're using that for some reason as an upright tree, to shade something, which I can't really come up with any reason why we would need that elm to be our shade, <laughs> but yeah. then we need to put it into some structure that works for deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do that. We cut it down. We cut it down. Walk let away. It, walk away. Don't stump <laughs> treat it. Let it re-sprout. And all of a sudden, bam, we've got deer food. We've got food and we've got some structure. And Yeah, and we have cover. So yeah. a deer can lay down next to the cut down tree and and be tucked away and hidden yes absolutely and and we like to you know key in on plants that will in more let's say perpetuity be in a structure um or our height excuse me i should say in a height form that is long-term productive for the means of cover and the means of food so like a blackberry patch you know it's never going to grow and be 20 foot tall it's right. not going to just continue to grow and climb up. What it will do is probably spread out if it has enough space to, but it's never going to be out of reach, let's say, for deer. Or um, let's, uh, what's another example here? Um, well, a beauty berry is yeah. always going to be food. Yep. It's never going to get too Understory tall. shrub. Uh, yeah. A plum thicket is always going to be bedding cover for a deer. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be a situation where if a deer, a big buck wants to go tuck in a plum thicket, which they do all the time. You see it in Kansas, western Kansas all the time. That doesn't change. The structure of that plum thicket doesn't change because yeah. that's its growth form. So. Or or if you're way up north and you're, you're cutting some aspen or you've got... A ton of uh, let's just say river birch or or let's just or a gray alder in a swamp. I don't yeah. care that you're in a swamp. Like that structure is not going to get too tall. That really, from a cover standpoint, it's not going to be providing 
food or cover at the right height for for deer like it is a combination of all these different things that make the structure super important but again if we're managing in texas or in a couple weeks we're going to florida and we're going to be back in missouri hunting like i want to be finding and putting myself in an area where the wildlife that I'm pursuing, like you'll, you'll be hunting quail and pheasants here uh, yep. in November, right? Yep. You're not going to go out to the middle of the cornfield in Kansas and try and kick up a quail. Like right. they're not going to be found there because that's not what's required from an overall structure standpoint when you're hunting them during the day. Might have the right height. Corn stubble might be the uh, it might uh, be yeah. the right height, yeah, but it doesn't have the right components. It do, it's not just doesn't fit the right branching forms yes, and everything. The, yes. So, same thing with 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 deer. I'm most likely not during the rut. I'm not going to find myself in the middle of a pasture field hunting. I'm probably going to be situated over or in between closely in between on the downwind side of a thicket maybe you know whatever mm. deer are choosing to bed in that time of the year that structure is providing them what they need and it could be a mixture of 50 different types of species i don't really care i just know that they're in there because structurally that's what they need so wherever you're at you know i, I guess a lot of people kind of talked about this pre-show a lot of people are doing you know this uh, speed scouting or whatever maybe they've they're hunting public ground in different states and they they're looking online and they're like oh that's that piece of public i want to go to or here's three and they go out a day before the hunt they're like i'm going to bounce around and go find all these things well you've looked online all you can really tell is maybe the density of some of this cover type uh, maybe you can see that it's a, it's a grassland or a prairie or river bottom, whatever. But as a helpful tip, when you're going out to these areas and you're speed scouting, don't necessarily look for just the individual species. Look for the right structure that those deer, turkeys, quail, whatever you're chasing, pursuing at that time of the year are requiring. Because if that structure is present, well, that's your best chance to go in and find them. But if the structure isn't there, move along. Like, you could waste your time hunting that cornfield and never find that quail in the center of the cornfield. You're not going to waste your time there. It doesn't have the structure. You're going to move on. Move along. Even if you've never hunted that farm before, you're not going to find them there. We talked about it pre-show to take that a step further you know you're messing around in real estate too so let's think about maybe you're scouting a property to buy yes even well so here's some things that i'm going to consider i want to want to look at structure obviously if i can buy a farm that has everything i want and it's exactly all the right age and everything's mm -hmm. happening perfect great buy it but guess what <laughs> that doesn't ever happen no. hardly ever so if I go in and say, hey, I need these components and this structure, and that's all well and good, and I look and I say, well, you know, I roll in, let's, for example, I roll into a property and the timber is 98% pine. Yeah. Disappointment. Well, okay. So, and then we talk about structure, right? So yeah. you've listened to this podcast and you say, okay, well, we'll just, let's say it's 40-year-old pine. Okay. Yep. Let's get more pine. specific. Okay, so I got to run a chainsaw, make some clear cuts, and but if if it's ninety eight percent pine and there's nothing else underneath there, then am I even going to get the structure with the manipulation? Right. I might cover wise. Yeah, someone's going to say, "Well, guys, you open up the canopy, right? There's sun coming in. That's what you guys always talk about. So I could do that there on that ninety eight percent pine." Well, depending on the past. Um, management or land use practices no maybe not there's a lot of ag fields or pasture fields that have been disked a lot of 2,4-D application or maybe that pine plantation was aerial sprayed 
And now that seed bank's been disrupted. Like, just because you open it up and you did that cutting doesn't mean you can get that structure back. Right. So down the road five miles, the other property I'm looking at, same size, go in, it's all 40-year-old timber, let's say. Mm -hmm. But it's 50% pine. Yep. And 50% hardwood, oak hickory. Well, guess what? It's still all 40 years old. The structurally same exact situation as far as height, everything on both these farms is the same. Yep. But just due to different species and species diversity, I know what I can change the structure with and have, you know. I know what that return is going to be. I know that I'm going to have re-sprouting of these species. And, yeah, so completely two different animals and potential future structure is different based on species present the quantity of species present so back to having a solid ragweed field for quail i love ragweed but if all i have is five thousand acres of ragweed i don't (laughs) have a great quail population correct correct maybe at a certain time of the year you've got an influx of quail but yeah no and they're not going to persist there because they don't have everything you're missing the shrubby component you're missing the um the nesting component you got to have all the different structure but again we don't have to name every single species or or be able to identify every single species at a given property or in a given region to say that works for quail or that works for deer or that does not work for quail that does not work for turkeys if the structure's not there, your game's not there. You know, maybe the ultimate structure, a couple species I can think of that are super selective, and as structure changes, they move out, is rough grouse and woodcock. Uh-huh. They have this narrow window of stem right? density yep. in clear cuts, and it's from that, you know, five ideally five to 15 year mm-hmm. post clear cut yep that's when it's good for woodcock and rough grouse and then that that's it if there is no other manipulation when Yikes. you hit 30 years unless it's just a crazy bumper crop of birds mm-hmm. rough grouse and there's some nearby habits maybe you get a few spillover birds but pretty much if you've got 30 year post clear cut there's not rough grouse in it no. that it's not going to work Right. I mean, they are so specific on this structure of what they have to have. Um, Very time-oriented on disturbance. Luckily, deer are not near specific, but we still have to consider all these same And and that goes back to the definition of, or or not the definition of, but the the phrase of surviving and thriving. And we've seen deer just in these two habitat types on this trip as we're coming back from Texas working a property in, uh, Central Texas, and then working one in East Texas. Man, w- we saw both areas and portions of the property, each property, let's say, very poor habitat, very poor resources available to deer. Yet, from a deer standpoint, there's 150 to 160 inch deer on both properties. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, wow, really? Like that. Overall, property is missing a lot or could be drastically improved in these certain areas of the farm. Yet, from a deer standpoint, there's still some good deer around. Yep, they're, and they're certainly surviving. And a few, yeah. a few maybe, are thriving. Mm-hmm. Or are they? Right. Is that 150-inch deer supposed to be a 180? Right. Perhaps. That's and I would question. argue that's quite possible in a lot of cases absolutely i think a lot of people forget about that we've done many podcasts on that you know just because at five and a half he's 150 does not mean that that is that genetic potential you can't look at that deer and say just because of age he is 100 percent producing his genetic potential there's an environmental factor that is weighing a lot into that equation the guy we were on today talked about, I mean, they've been weighing the deer. And they've had yeah. a couple nice heavy deer he talked about, but yeah. he also talked about some pretty lightweight deer. So, I mean, he that recognizes. great antlers. Yeah, he recognizes that 
and something just didn't quite right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, it'll be fun to see, you know, over time how Absolutely. how those weights change and yep. And it's you know, an indicator, you right? start getting twins drop more often. Yep. If, if you have healthier does, fatter does, I mean, higher all lactation that, rates. You bet. Absolutely. All, all that stuff's well documented. Visceral fat, kidney fat, like all of those things are indicators of overall herd health that we need to be keen into. We need to be looking at as we're studying, observing, ha- like watching what's happening on a property. No structure for what they need. They ain't there or they're not thriving in the way that we want to. We're all about maximizing the land, whether that's just great land ethic practices or we have a very strong emphasis on specific game species. Overall, we have to have varying degrees of regeneration that will provide different forms of structure from old fields to young forest to older forest to thinned forest those types of components on the property it's going to be pretty robust it's going to be a pretty nice property that i'd like to spend some time on probably during honey season if it's something (laughs) if a property's got those all those components working and disturbances and and plant communities are coming back with with vigor and, and you know that's a that I'm I'm attracted to that. And guess what? <laughs> so are wildlife. So you got to have disturbances. You got to have structure. But you got to know what to look for, and know the species that you're managing for what they need at different times of the year. Absolutely. Yep. It's fun. It's, it's, it's part of the putting yep. the puzzle together. You know, that's what makes it fun for us. Absolutely. So guys, hope you learned a lot from this podcast. Um, hope you consider evaluating, observing structure or the lack of structure um, more critically the next time you're out in the field or as you're scouting, as you're potentially buying a property, be looking for, for the flexibility, the malleability of, of land and the resources that are out there to produce what it is you want and need to be producing on your given properties that you have access to or that you're choosing to hunt on public ground. So uh, appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Be sure to check out our friends over at Niangua Coffee. Um, if you are a coffee drinker, the new, or let me say, Deer Camp Coffee is back in stock and running for this fall. So be sure to get some of that. Get your hands on it. Head on over to NianguaCoffee.com and uh, support our friends there. Appreciate everyone listening. We'll catch you next week. Yeah.